Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Well, today we finally made it to episode 200 of the Next Level Soul podcast. First and before I continue, I just want to thank everyone listening so much for all the support and love that we are constantly getting at the show by all of you listeners and followers. I truly, truly, truly am humbled and appreciate all the love and support you send us, and I will continue to create great content to help you guys on your spiritual journey. And this episode is a doozy. I wanted a really special show for episode 200, and today's guest did not disappoint. We have on the show near-death experiencer Brendan Densmore. Now, Brendan OD'd on heroin and had a miraculous and inspiring near-death experience what is really interesting that this episode starts off being about near-death experience, but finishes in a very, very deep and profound way. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, so sit back, relax, and get ready for one heck of a ride. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Brendan Densmore. How are you doing, Brendan? Hey, doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing very good, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I appreciate you coming on to tell us, tell us your fairly interesting story. Uh, you've had a couple of things happen to you in your life that uh, have been interesting to say the least. So my first question to you is, what was your life like prior to your NDEs? Oh, uh, pretty miserable. Um, I was really angry person. Uh, self-confidence issues, self-esteem issues. Um, I wasn't happy. I, I pretended to, pretended to be happy, but I really wasn't deep down, uh, not comfortable in my own skin. And, um, you know, I had ups and downs like everybody, but those things really kind of consumed me at a behind-the-scenes kind of level. Did you... Um... Did you have any spirituality or anything like that, a religion or anything like that when you were growing up? I did. I was raised um, as a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. So, um, and I've always been interested in spirituality. Uh, I went to school for philosophy. So I studied um, different philosophies from around the world and just always been fascinated by different spiritual teachings and things like that. Um just always been a kind of a curious person. Now, the, when you said you were angry, 
Um, can you explain what, did you understand the reason for that? Because I grew up angry as well. <laughs> I had a lot of anger as a young man. Uh, and even though I, I was a class clown uh, in many ways, I, I had anger and frustrations in my life. And I think I think everybody does at one point or another. But do you, do you mind going a little deeper into what was going on? Just things would get under my skin um, and irritate me. And then I would just um, explode, <laughs> uh, you know, <clears throat> but I mean, just in general, I was just kind of had a lot of angry feelings. So I think, uh, it started back when I was sexually molested wow. when I was eight years old. I'm sorry about that. So, um, that kind of like was a chink in the armor. Mm -hmm. It affected my self-esteem and, um, I was made fun of when I was a kid in school, yeah. but it's just that I had resentments to people and all of that stuff over the years just kind of built up under the surface, not even necessarily in my conscious awareness, but like, um, I was watching one of your episodes before I came on the show and, um, you were talking about how you would get angry with road rage. <laughs> I yeah, uh, that was I was uh, I was not a fun person to be around in my teens and early twenties on, on the road. It was weird. It's weird. <laughs> so just being irritated by by things that other people do. Yeah. And just getting pissed off. Um, I don't know. Am I allowed to say that on YouTube? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think I think you, I, I think you are. But I think it's just kind of like any little thing would set you off that makes no sense where like like so now someone cuts me off and i'm like wow i wonder what's going on in his life that or her life that that she's in that much of a hurry or she's they're angry or something like they must, they must be going through something that's my first instinct now before it would be like this emma mother son of a i'm gonna i'm gonna follow them and i'm gonna let them know how i feel <laughs> Because I was pure ego and pure anger and like, how dare you even look at me the wrong way? And if you flipped me off, forget it. We were all, I was, I had nothing else to do. I was a young man. So I would just, ch I would literally just chase them down, <laughs> just follow them. I never did anything other than that. I never went off the highway or anything, but I would get angry. And it would just be like, now I look back at that guy and I'm like, wow, man, you were so angry and anything would set you off. So that's why I ask, because I know a lot of people listening are probably in that place. And they don't even understand why they do it or they're so used to being angry that they don't dig in deeper to find out what the cause of that anger is and start to release that anger. Because you don't seem like an angry person right now, which is a good thing. Yeah, very rarely you see it nowadays. Um, it does pop out now and again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I've learned to kind of uh, mellow out and flush those feeling like I allow myself to have the feeling but just the awareness of it and looking at um, what is the lesson that I'm trying to learn in this situation and when I when that anger comes up mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly the that's exactly what I I go through now like okay if this is in front of me right now there's a reason for it to be in front of me and how can I best navigate the situation to learn my lesson and move on without having, you know, as much shrapnel as, as I used to love to take for some strange reason. Yeah. It's like, uh, there's a wild animal inside of us. Oh God. Yeah. Um, it's like a product of, of evolution 
and it's there and learning to kind of tame the beast inside so that you can live like a better life. I know because when you when you allow the beast to run the biz, the, the 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 whole the whole situation, it's not fun for anybody. And the, the beast could be argue arguably could be also the ego, uh, and the ego and the beast, if you will, uh, can be that. But not everyone has that kind of anger inside of them. So there's always some reason why what that frustration is and things like that. And obviously, you you've kind of at this point in in life figured out what that was and have slowly mm-hmm. been able to release it through the experiences we're about to talk about. So. What was, uh, can you tell me about your first near-death experience? Yeah. So when I was 21, I was in um, a pretty bad fight and was kicked in the head uh, multiple times by a guy with steel-toed boots. And uh, I went to the doctor after the experience and he said that if he had put three more pounds of pressure behind the last kick, that his boot would have gone into my brain. So, and I wouldn't have been here anymore. So, um, when that happened, uh, I lost consciousness and it was just total nothingness, just a complete blackout. Like it's hard to explain. It's easy to say it was nothing, but how often do we really experience nothing? It was just the absence of anything, total blackout. And, um, after that I started questioning my reality and my identity and what am I here for? So um, I discovered that I had a love of learning. And at that point I started um, this educational journey. So um, I dropped out in ninth grade, by the way. Okay. Um, Cause I hated school and I hated um, the teachers. I hated the students and I wanted nothing to do with the institution. So I left in the ninth grade and went to work. But um, that continued for a few years. And then I was in that fist fight and almost died. And it was like nothingness. So it's kind of like um, what Heidegger talks about. Mm-hmm. Martin Heidegger, it, like I realized the possibility of my own non-existence. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And that shook you as it would. And it shook me. It shook me to the core. So I started questioning everything. And then from there, I discovered, wow, like I actually like to learn things. I was reading book after book, listening to cassette after cassette um, and CD after CD of different self-development, psychology, spirituality, and kind of went on a binge and um, discovered that I loved it. And it was just that those aha moments of learning something new, I just wanted more. So I went back to school, got a GED, back to high school. And um, after that, I went to a community college where I got an associate's degree and um, went into something called the Exploring Transfer Program. So that's administered through the community college system to show community college students what it's like to go to an Ivy League institution. Mm. And I went into that program and did two full courses at Vassar, Vassar College in New York. Um, 
and it was during a six week period, two full classes, and I got a 4.0. So I aced both classes. Not bad for a high school dropout. And then, um, who believed he was stupid, by the way. I know the feeling. And, um, <laughs> I know the feeling, brother. So went and then got uh, applied to Vassar full and got a full scholarship. Fantastic. Wow. And then graduated with a philosophy degree. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so what was the next, uh, how long between the first near death experience to the second one? Oh, let's see the, so the first one was when I was 21 mm -hmm. and the second one was in 2014. So I would say like 10 years. Okay. All right. So what, about. so what happened in the second one? In the second one? So um, I actually overdosed from heroin. So how did you lead up? I mean, you seemed, okay. So you just seemed to, you had a four year, you just got a scholarship. You got out of philosophy, everything's sun, sunny and wonderful. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, you're ODing on a heroin. There, mm -hmm. There's something in between. Can you just give us the, the reader's digest version of that if you can? <laughs> so I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and sacroiliac spondylitis when I was 14. Oh, wow. And uh, Crohn's disease, for those of you who don't know, it's like this inflammatory disease of the bowel. And then the arthritis was like throughout my entire body body. So um, I was prescribed opiate painkillers at age 15. Oh, and then ended up getting really dependent. And then um, I would take too much of the drug and then have to find more. So whether or not I was calling up friends or buying it from people on the street or whatever I had to do to get it, I would do it because I was that addicted to this stuff. Um, where was I going? So you, we going? we're going towards the heroin overdose. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I was, but when I had that first near death experience, like I didn't, I was continuing to use throughout that entire educational journey which no one really knew. And you, you were functioning. Obviously. I was functioning, functioning. Not to say that it was easy because I was in this pattern of taking too much of the medicine before my prescription would fill. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go into withdrawals and I'd have to wait to get more from somebody or to, for my prescription to fill. It was just a miserable existence. And um, at Vassar, I had a back surgery mm -hmm. and then that increased my pain level. And, um, again, I was, um, I ran out of my medication and got some heroin. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this heroin and it felt good and it took away my pain. But another reason I was using more than I was prescribed is because of the emotional turmoil That's that right. I was in all right. the time, always in the background. Like a cloud, kind of like a cloud sitting there always. And it's kind of like just hovering constantly. Yeah, hovering yeah. like a black helicopter stalking me. And it, it, um, I, when I would take the opiate, it would relieve that those feelings but that's what 
all of the any drug does. It takes away that kind of you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't worry about the pain. You, it, it, it takes all that stuff away, emotional and physical. Mm. And look, I mean, who doesn't want to not feel that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I would feel the same way. I completely understand where you're coming from. So, so it wasn't just the physical pain. You had this, this, this kind of emotional, you know, pain hanging around all the time. So it was, you're trying to, you were trying to solve two pains. You were trying to heal two pains at the same time. And it was yeah. always there, both of them. Yeah. And, poor, poor and, and the emotional pain, it was fear. It was resentment. It was um, self-esteem issues, self-confidence issues, not thinking that I, I was uh, handsome enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't, um, I'm not as good as X, Y, and Z person. All the, I mean, you're, you're running down the classic hits, sir. Uh, these are the classic hits of of the of the ego and of the 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 negative chatter in your head. We I think yeah. everybody listening has had all of those thoughts at one point or another. But you, I mean, it, it's it's different levels for everybody. But I, I mean, I've had all of those thoughts at points in my life, of course. Um, but it was getting it was getting out of hand essentially. Yeah, and I was in the a pattern of of taking this drug, and the drug would numb the emotion. And it would, it would replace that, those negative feelings or dark feelings or whatever you want to call them. Um, it would replace those with feelings of ease and feeling like I can, I can think straight. I can concentrate on my homework without wondering, um, gee, I wonder if that person thinks I'm an idiot. It quieted them. It quieted the noise, essentially. It quieted the noise. That's exactly yeah, and that, of course, and then you could function because you were able to quiet the noise, and obviously the pain, the physical pain as well, it quieted yeah. that that until noise. I ran out, and then it would get worse. It would, and then worse. it was ten times worse. It's a vicious circle. It's a vicious, vicious circle. So you have, so okay. So fast forward to um, 2014, you owed overdose with uh, on on a, on a on a batch of heroin. What do you see? What happened? So I was in my mother's apartment at the time and um, I was just full of anxiety because I was going through withdrawals. I'm just waiting for the guy to show up. Is he ever going to get here? Got checking the clock. Like it had already been days that I'd been in withdrawals and I was just miserable. Finally, the guy shows up, brings me the heroin and I did it. And finally, the nightmare is over. And I'm feeling, oh, I can just relax and I can think straight and I don't have to be into this, this inner turmoil. Finally, it's over and I can just relax and it felt good. And um, next thing I know, I realized I was dying and all of a sudden I'm outside of my body and I'm looking down at myself and I'm wondering, I'm dead. Like, what was the point of my life? That was the first question you had in your head. That was the first question. Yeah. Wow. What was the point? I went through this whole, you know, sexually molested, went to school, raised in a religion. Um, 
started doing these drugs and dropped out, went on this educational journey. Now I'm dead. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. What was the point of it? And then became aware of a presence in the room and I didn't see anything. I didn't see like um, a person standing there or some kind of a spirit or anything. I just became aware of a presence and, um, I was given like a vision of, um, the future, I guess, whether or not it was actually the future that, or an alternate timeline, I don't, I can't really, we can only speculate, but, um, I saw all the people who were affected by my death. So all the people who grieved, um, and in particular, I remember my mother, she coming into the room and finding my body on her couch and my body was all discolored with like pus running down my face. And, um, she, she started just crying and screaming, my baby, mm-hmm. my little baby. Because she had had all those memories of me as a tender little child. All those memories of me as um, somebody that she loved, that she raised, that she cared for so much. And there I was dead, a corpse, discolored with pus running out of my mouth. Then I was shown... um, uh, all of the people that I would never meet, all of the experiences that I would never have, all of the joys that I was supposed to to experience in life. And um, and it's kind of like um, I was in a holodeck, like from Star Trek. It was kind of like a it was kind of like a future life review, if you will. Yeah. It's hard kind of for me to explain and to put into words. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like that. Did you and, did you uh, did you see faces? Like did you see your wife? Did you see your kid? Did you or did you I, see just the energy of that situation? I I saw everything. But um after the experience, everything was fuzzy. Okay. So at the time you saw everything crystal clear, but it fuzzed out afterwards. Exactly. Um, so then next thing I know, I'm back, the, everything changes again. And I'm back in the, in the apartment standing there and um, I hear a voice and it was just a very matter of fact voice. And it wasn't like a booming, like God voice. It wasn't a whisper. It was just a very matter of fact voice that said, now your life is over. And you wasted it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> that was, it was rough. It was like a kick in the stomach. <laughs> kick in the balls, my friend. Are you kidding? Stomach. That's right. a kick in the balls. He's like, so your life is over now and uh, you wasted it. <laughs> Basically. And I, yeah. And I started to panic. 
course. I'm like, what? Like, this can't happen. This cannot be happening. Please let me live. Please, please, I will do anything. I will do anything to make this not happen. I didn't want to have my mother go through that pain. But anyways, I just begged and begged. And um, next thing I know, bam, I'm back in my body, gasping for breath. So do you know, were you clinically dead? You don't know. You have no idea because it wasn't anything like that. But you were you were definitely not there. Right. I, I mean, I can't say with uh, any kind of um, 100% certainty that I was dead. Mm-hmm. Um. But that was the, my experience. Yeah, it was definitely an out-of-body experience, to say the least. Wow. You almost had a uh, it's a wonderful life kind of vibe where you saw the world without you in it. Yeah. Kind of, right? kind of a vibe. Yeah. So you didn't see anything anything else, no you know, entity. Do you, well, by the way, I'm a, did you, after, after the fact of this... Uh, NDE, did you do more research into NDEs and and even in your philosophy and spiritual um, education, did you understand what a spirit guide is? Who do you think that voice was? Um, I'm not sure who the voice was. Mm-hmm. It, there's different possibilities. Um, but I had always been interested in spirituality and knew about spirit guides and things like that um but didn't really delve into like studying about ndes and things like that what i did was i immediately went into a detox so i was in detox for seven days and right learned that. how to yeah right after that i called crisis mm-hmm. and um they came over and did an assessment i went to the hospital for seven days and I had to learn how to tie my shoelaces again. That's how bad it was. I couldn't think. I couldn't move. It was just terrible. Um, Let me ask you, did, did no one realize you were on drugs and opioids at this point? Like at this level? Did no one around you saw signs? Some people did, but they were users. Got it. Um, and family, some family members knew, but there was nothing they could do about it. Okay. Okay. I was just curious on like how well you hid it. Mm. You know, I, I was how, pretty good at hiding it. So yeah. you go through, so you go through detox, uh, during detox, does anything, do you see anything? Do you happen? Cause I've heard detox is pretty intense to say the least. Did you, what was going on through your experience at that point? It was just, um, hell, um, pain, emotional turmoil, um, trying to just even learn how to tie my shoelaces again. There were no like real spiritual type experiences during that process. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was there and I'm going to say this, I don't want to like discourage people. I'm not like a doctor or anything like that. Okay. So they offered me a medication while I was in there called Suboxone. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they give to um, opiate people. And um, he, I, I said, no, I don't want it. And he was like, well, people have a 98% percent 
probability of failure. Like if you leave this hospital and you're not on an opiate replacement therapy, 98% of people go back. And I knew that if I went down that road, I would probably be dependent on that opiate replacement. So I refused and I'm glad I did because um, now, you know, it's been what, nine years and I haven't had an opiate substance over those nine years. And how are you handling the pain? Um, I had to, the emotional pain or physical pain? Both. I'm on a medication mm-hmm. that kind of quiets down my immune system so that it's not attacking itself. Both my Crohn's disease and um, arthritis are in remission. Oh, that's great. And um, with the emotional pain, uh, I went through a spiritual process. So after the um, NDE and after the, um, the detox, I went through this spiritual refinement process. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I, in my experience, the addiction was only a, um, a, a uh, what do you call it? A um, not substance, like a, uh, like when you have a disease mm-hmm. and, um, there are certain signs that you have the disease that point to the fact symptoms. that you have symptoms. symptoms. Thank you. So the, the addiction for me was a symptom of a deeper problem of different, um, things that were within myself that I hadn't dealt with. And I didn't know um, how to deal with my emotions. And I had to like figure out how to deal with my emotions, how to um, reprogram my mind and how to create another reality from scratch. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Oh, and Please explain how on God's green earth you did that. It sounds like a pretty heavy lift, my friend. It was. Uh, have you heard of the 12 steps? Yeah, of course. Of course. So I went through a step program, Alcoholics okay. Anonymous, okay. which I wasn't even really an alcoholic. Sure. But you were addicted to a substance, so it helped. It helped tremendously. Um, like I went through the steps and I gave it my all. Like I put a hundred percent in because I knew that I wasn't going to make it if I didn't find a solution and I needed a solution. So, um, I did the steps and a little while after that, I actually had a profound spiritual experience okay. that was like completely transformative and really confirmed that I was on the right path and that I wasn't crazy and that spirituality and um not that spirituality is real but that that um that i have allies and that they are help you have help i have help and they're they're helping me and um i'll just tell you what happened i was uh having a hard time and was praying a lot and um i was in my shower and all of a sudden felt a light like descending through the ceiling and it came down and it just, I was like, what is going on? 
and then the light just penetrated me mm-hmm. and pierced every aspect of my being. Like I, I was thinking of all these things from my past. Like I'm not worthy of this. Like this being is just too powerful. Why is it here and why me? And the light just went through all of those thoughts like they were nothing. And it went into my body and it just pierced every aspect of me. And I felt this profound peace and a profound love and an appreciation for who I was, despite all the things that I had done wrong. It's like those things didn't even matter to this, to this entity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped me a lot. As it would, sir. <laughs> as it would. <laughs> as it would. So as far as all those, all the, all the noise in your mind and all of these negative thoughts that so many of us battle with every day, is that gone or you just deal with it differently? A lot of it's gone. Okay. And some of it's still there. And I'm becoming aware more and more of it recently. It's starting to become clear where I need, still have some work to do. But um, most of it's gone. Most of it's gone. And and you are, I think this is something that's interesting is when you're in, like when I was in that moment when I was younger in road rage, if you will, um, I was not aware of what was going on and it sounds like you were able to get a little bird's eye view kind of pop out a little bit and now when those thoughts come in you are conscious of those thoughts where before you were just you were inside the mix but now you were kind of pulled back and you're like oh no wait, that's the thought that thought's still there i've got it okay there's some there's something causing that thought so i got work to do as opposed to feeling it 100% now you can at least could pull back get an air, a bird's eye view of it and go, okay, that's happening again. All right. I got to work on that. Is that a fair explanation of it? Yeah, that's a fair explanation. And, uh, the feelings are like a barometer. Mm. Like when, when I have a feeling of anger or a feeling of fear, I know that something, um, is wanting my attention. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of, um, catch myself before I go out of control. So it's still a battle. It's still a battle without question, but you have more ability to deal with it at this point. And as you get, keep going and going, you'll be able to deal with it more and more. Yeah. And like, um, when I was, when I had that near death experience, I had no money in the bank. Um, I was living in a crappy little apartment Mm -hmm. more than broke, like less than broke. Um, false friends, um, no vehicle, um, full of fear, negativity, self-doubt, um, limiting thinking. So you were, so you were a catch is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, I was a, I was a piece of work. I mean, you were like, you were batting them off with a stick, basically, is what you're telling me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Not somebody you're, you would want your daughter with, put it that way. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but, you know, I had a good side. Of course. I had a loving side. Uh, you know, I was a compassionate person. 
I'd give you the shirt off my back. I gave too much. Yeah. People took advantage of me. But um, so, I, I mean, I, that's where I went. And where I am now is that here I am speaking to you on Next Level, uh, Next Level Soul yes, sir. podcast. Yes. And I'm comfortable. You are extremely comfortable uh, and very raw. And I do appreciate that, by the way. You know, I'm, I'm asking difficult questions and you're just very com comfortable with answering them. And I appreciate that. And the reason I ask those questions is to help others listening and watching. Because I think your story is something that can give somebody that you, someone who is go, who is go, currently going through what you went through some hope, mm. and that's the reason I do this show is to help other people uh, who are trying to figure this life thing out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not it's not for the faint of heart. This thing, this life thing. No, it's not. <laughs> Definitely not on this not on this planet. Maybe other planets are different, but on this planet. This is this is a rough gig. This is a rough game, uh, game simulation, if you will. The levels keep getting harder and harder, and the bosses that you have to defeat are usually the bosses inside yourself, mm -hmm. uh, in in so many ways. So after this, after this, the spiritual awakening and the near death experiences, did you do any research on other near death experiences, or how did it change your uh, beliefs, spiritual beliefs? Did you start going down certain paths to kind of? educate yourself or, or at least understand what happened to you? Did you know exactly what it was, what had happened to you? Like, oh, this is a near-death experience. Um, I did. I knew it was a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. But I, afterwards, I, I didn't really research it much. I delved into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Got and it. I started going to meetings and I started volunteering in the community. Um, and then, you know, I want to just follow up to give people more hope. Mm -hmm. is that, you know, um, here I am on next level soul and I'm competent. Yes, you are. But I bought a new car. I bought a house. Awesome. I married the love of my life. Oh. And I have a son, oh. Daniel, who's five months old. Oh, God bless. And I ex am experiencing fulfillment in life. That's amazing. Deep fulfillment. So what happened? Back then I wasn't, didn't have that. I didn't have that sense of fulfillment. It was, I was always trying to get it, but I couldn't get it. I couldn't find it. So what did, so what, what was it that switched inside you? Besides all these experiences, is there something that switched inside you to change? Because it's exactly the same in a different level of mind. Like I have no longer road rage. Something shifted in me that uh, that changed in the way I look at life, the way I look at things around myself uh, and don't let the ego or the beast, if you will, drive the car anymore. Um, but what was that thing? Because you're you're still Brendan but you're different versions of yourself. Mm. So I'm sure people listening right now are like, well, I'm in the old version of Brendan, but I need to get to this new version of Brendan. Mm. What do you, what do you suggest? What was it? The thing that made you shift? It, dealing with the resentments of the past. Letting go. But letting go in a way that was effective. 
because I had let go before. And yet I still had these feelings. And um, re so resentments is one. And so being angry at things that people did to me in the past. Yeah. And um, finding a resolution to that. Another one was the fears. The fears of everything. Um, whether or not it was public speaking. Um, talking to new people. Afraid of what people think about me. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then worried about um, X, Y, and Z. Am I going to be able to pay this bill? Am I going to be able to pay that bill? <laughs> Just the fears. Yeah, yeah. And then um, worry about the future and about like, am I going to die and my mom's not going to be proud of me? Yeah, no, I, I get all of these things in the mind and, and in it, the background. It's, and it's always in the mind only. Nothing of this is happening to you in many ways. Like you're living in the past and worried about the future, which is your imagination, and living in the past, which is your memory, but you're not living in the moment. Right. Yeah. So dealing with the past and dealing with the future and the feelings about those right. effectively methodically with concentration and like, um, I'm not going to, I can't let this thing take me down. I've got to find a solution because I don't want my mother to find my dead body. That gave me the, the fuel I needed or the drive to push through the difficulty. It wasn't easy dealing with the resentments, facing the fears and um, the self-esteem issues, becoming my own best friend instead of my own worst enemy. Ooh, that's powerful. I, oof. It's so true, man. I mean, that voice inside of us, if that was a human being, we'd run away from that voice as fast as humanly possible. But it lives with us 24-7. And you're right. Be your best, your own best friend as opposed to your own worst enemy. That's extremely powerful because most of us deal with we're abusive. We're abusive to ourselves, just brutally abusive. And I have to give you credit, my friend. You are a fighter. You are a fighter. You fought through a lot in your life so far to get to where you are right now. And uh, I've, you know, I've had a lot of near-death experiencers on the show, and I've spoken to many of them. And one common thing comes from all of them is that when it happened to them, it was something they needed in their journey in life. Either they had skewed off course and it was the shock to the system that needed to be put back on course, mm -hmm. which sounds like what happened to you, that you were already, you were going down a, a road that you weren't going to be able to get out of. And then, but there's always a choice. There's always a choice. Like at the end, like you could have said, you know what? I'm out of this life. I don't want to come. I don't want, and you would have easily just died right there. But seeing the, the other side, whatever you want to call it, the thing that you saw, understood you well enough to know let's show him this this is what he needs right now to get him off the ground not this other thing that worked for that other person but it's custom made for you and seeing yeah. your mother and seeing the world and seeing everything that you were going to miss is that thing that you needed to yeah to get yourself on the on the right road it, it's 
It's pretty, fa- it's fascinating, my friend. I, I applaud you seriously. Thank you. Um, maybe tough love. Oh, it's tough love. <laughs> no question. Tough love. Wasn't yeah, it? You know, dying is tough love. I'm, <laughs> I mean, there's a general statement. As, as tough love goes, dying is probably <laughs> the toughest of all the loves. And coming back, that's a tough love uh, approach to things. No question about it. But you know what? Sometimes you've got to get to the bottom before you come back up. In you know, I've gone through I've gone through a lot of things in my life. Nothing like yours. My my journey was different, but I was almost bankrupt. I almost, you know, lost everything. I was in a depression for three years after not being able to being close to my dream and again yanked away from me, being abused uh, verbally, my life threatened by a mobster. It's a whole story. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole thing. I don't want to get into it. But all of that, and I had to hit the bottom before I was able to come back up. And I don't know if I've said, I probably said this on the show before, but when I was about to sign bankruptcy paperwork, I yelled out to God, who, I, by the way, wasn't the most religious or spiritual at that point in my life. I was a young man. I said, all right, God, if you don't help me, I'm going to sign these these papers. And, I'm, and I don't want to do that. I want to pay back my debts, this debt that I've put myself in. So if hmm. you don't help me, though, I'm going to sign this. And the next day, I got a call from my very first boss. And he's like, hey, man, uh, I don't know if you're looking for work or not, but there's this job uh, up north uh, about being an editor uh, on a TV network. Do you, do you want – you should go up there. I already gave him a good review. I'll give you a good recommendation for you. And I was off and running. And it wasn't easy, but I did. So you said that you were going bankrupt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What was I your was, business? Oh, no. I, my business was being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I had spent so much money on stupidity as a young man that I just – my credits work. My credit card was going up. I, I didn't have work. My ego got completely out of control. I was self-destructing in that way. I didn't have substance abuse issues. That wasn't my path in this life. Mm-hmm. But I had to deal with all of this other stuff. Almost, I was going to lose my house. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never at the place where I was going to get homeless. I could have stayed with a, a relative or someone. But I was at a very dark place, and the bankruptcy paperwork was the only thing that was going to save my house. Just to, you know, because all these creditors were coming after me. You know, I was as dumb as like, I'll have one credit card pay the other credit card and let them figure it out. That's how stupid I was. <laughs> you mentioned ego. Yes. Oh, yes. So can you say a little bit more about that? What do you mean? Well, the ego went out of control because I had a little bit of success in my in my early career. And then I was given an opportunity uh, to direct a very big movie for a mobster, $20 million movie. And then I met the biggest movie stars in the world. And I flew out to LA and I'm having lunch and dinners and, you know, the limos and that whole thing, you know, working. And I'm 26, a kid. Uh, And then I wrote a whole book on this, by the way. And if anyone just goes to my website, they know the book, Shooting for the Mob. Uh, And then it was all yanked away from me. So being that close to the dream for a year, by the way, Bob being verbally abused every day by a Sorry? bipolar, being verbally abused every day by a uh, bipolar gangster who like one day, one moment's like, you're the greatest. Ah, ha, 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 ha. It's like going, being, like going to work every day with Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. And the next moment, 
I'm going to kill you and I'm going to throw you in the ditch somewhere. Wow. For someone who was not ready to deal with that, you know, as a young man, I had no defenses for that. I never dealt with that. So going through all of that was so, and then after, after I was finally let go and out of that situation, I just couldn't function. I couldn't work. There was no, I, I couldn't get jobs. Uh, I was just basically selling comic books on eBay to make a living. So when you say your ego was out of control, what do my, you mean? So my ego, when I was starting off, I started off very fast and I was making a lot of money, a lot of money quickly mm -hmm. when I was a young, young man uh, as an editor. What effect did that have on you? Oh my God. It was, it was self-destructive because, How? because I, I, when you're a young man and you're like, Hey, I have all the money in the world and you know, I could do whatever I want. It's just like you know, cars and equipment and doing stupid things. And you, you, you might, you couldn't, I couldn't fit my ego in a house. It was just so massive. And that was the self-destructive part where then I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to throw away all that might work. And, and that's where it started. So then I started to like gain debt and debt and debt and debt because the money wasn't coming in the way it used to be. And then as a lesson, I, I think the universe said, let's send him this mobster to break him down a bit because he he's out of control. And let mm -hmm. us get let him get as close as humanly possible to his dream that he has been living for his entire life wow. and then get it yanked away from him. And let's see what that's going to do. With him. And, and I'm so grateful that I didn't get that movie off the ground because if I would have, I don't know where I would be. It would have destroyed me having that much, that much uh, attention love or the fake love whatever you want to get just attention mostly spotlight all of that would have destroyed me so i needed to be broken down to a place where then i had to humble myself to come up and by the way i'm very uh, stubborn so it took me even even when i came back up many battles over the course of the next 20 years to deal with all of that and only 7 8 years ago maybe i kind of started to wake up and the podcasting, believe it or not, was the moment. Not this show, but my other shows that I started about eight years ago, when I started to give back to people, give knowledge, try to help others, my life changed. And then that took me to where we are today. So that's a, a, a small example of the journey. But the ego is always, for me, the ego is always that cloud behind me. That I call him the uh, the MMA fighter who sits on your shoulder and just waits for you to to just look away and then he punches you out uh, or chokes you out. But he's always there waiting, and it could be six months, could be a year, and he doesn't even make a peep. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then boom! Oh, son of a got caught again. Sidelined. Sidelined. Exactly. Exactly. So that is that is the the thing that that you know the humbleness that you have to have and giving and being of service, you know, is hopefully a place, a, a path to become more humble. But yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to throw something out there that's that's um controversial. Okay. <laughs> um so you said that you were um <clears throat> that when you had that success and you were right on the verge of, of accomplishing the dream mm -hmm. that you had for a long time, um, you said you were, you were full of ego. Is that, mm -hmm. 
the term? Among other things, yeah, ego. What about somebody who is on the other end of the success spectrum? Mm-hmm. Do you think that they can be full of ego? Absolutely. I've been helping um, filmmakers and screenwriters on my other shows for almost eight years. And the level of delusion that I run into is remarkable because I can recognize that delusion because I had it for a decade or two. So I can recognize it in others very quickly. And the craziest part about any artistic endeavor, but the film industry specifically, is that the delusion that you need to believe that could even be done is the delusion that hurts you. Because you need a level of delusion to believe that you're going to be in the movies, an actor, a writer, a director. You have to be delusional. A little bit, a little bit. You have to be. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be an artist and like, I'm going to go and dance and make a living as a dancer, you have to be slightly delusional to believe that that's a possibility. And I don't I don't say that in a bad way. I say that in a good way. But when the delusion becomes so – when your things don't work out and delusion becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, that's ego having to build you up to survive this thing. And then when you go down the road for so long, it's hard to – you can't pull back. It's very difficult to pull back unless you've got events that just – that's when life just starts slapping you around. And that's when you hopefully will humble down. and. Mm -hmm. Just because you love something doesn't mean it's something that you're meant to do in many ways, I've discovered. And not to saying that I don't love filmmaking. I still do and will do it again in the future. But the difference is that it's skewed a little bit. Like everything is everything is set up perfectly, in my opinion. Good, bad, or indifferent. And at least in my life, it was. Where you look back as a, a you know, a been around the block a couple times in this life so i can look back and go oh thank god i didn't get cast in two reality shows with filmmakers in it and i made it to the very end and i was devastated that i didn't get in and then hmm. i look back and going oh my god thank god i didn't get in because the directors that did get in their careers were torpedoed you see what i mean so Everything kind of works out the way it is, but ego is is a dangerous thing, and it's a wonderful thing. You need ego in order to be able to do things, but you need to. Um, from what I've from people I've spoken to on this show, I think the best approach to ego is to treat it like a child, a five year old. When it starts to talk, you go back and you're like, no, no, you need to stop that. That's not the way here. Nope, nope, that's not the way we're going to do this. And you talk to it as a child. And it kind of, but you can't fight it. It's like trying to fight a fight. You will understand this, sir, in about four and a half years. You can't fight a five-year-old. I have children. You cannot fight a five-year-old, but you have to talk to it in a certain way. Talk to it or her or he or she in a certain way mm -hmm. to be able to get, to move on, to get into the restaurant, to get out of the restaurant, to get into the car, to get out of the park. These are conversations you have to have with a five-year-old, so you treat the ego in the same way, and it seems to work, but that's just one one path down the road. Hmm. This has turned into a conversation, an interview of myself now. I love it. <laughs> I hope it helps people. Let's really talk do. more about you. Let's, let's, 
<laughs> yes, let's talk more about me. Yes, my ego loves this. No, uh, I, I, again, I share these stories because I hope someone listening can take from both of our extremes hmm. two very different stories, two very different experiences. <clears throat> um, but we've kind of okay gone to the same place. In many I'm just places. gonna yeah, so I'm just gonna interrupt because remember how I said I was gonna say something controversial. Yes. So I'm coming from the other end of the spectrum of the success spectrum. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a victim, mm-hmm. right? Eight years old, sexually molested. Sure. And um, I was had resentment. Mm-hmm. And the resentment tore me apart, right? But the thing that I didn't realize is that the resentment was ego. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Holding on to the resentment was my ego. What do you think it about that? Makes it, it it makes sense. The ego is there in some ways to protect you, to, mm. to keep you safe. You know, the ego does have that position in your life. It is all about itself in many ways as well. And it's destructive and can mm-hmm. be if you let it out. It's it's some it's it's like any tool in many ways. A hammer could kill or it could build a house. But this is this is what's controversial is um that well, how dare I say that about someone who is sexually molested? No, that, I don't that, that I, I was sexually molested, right? And I was self-centered in my holding on to the resentment i don't think i don't think it's i don't think it's you, when you said it the first time it, it made all the sense in the world to me because the ego would hold on to it because the ego in many ways was the one that got the abuse as well so it's dealing with it in its own way and holding on to it is the way to deal with it because if it if it lets go of it, it, it did it ever happen in the ego's perspective? We're getting deep here, guys. So anyone listening, please, if we're offending you or anything, please forgive us. We're just trying to work work this this concept out. But I think that's you know I'm no psychologist, mm-hmm. um, but I think from my perspective of experience with the ego, and from people I've spoken to on this show, that the ego is holding on to. I mean, look. I'll, I'll, let's go back to my experience real quick with the ego. And I'll, I'll tell you, I held on to the experience of that mobster for 20 years. And on a subconscious level, I wouldn't let go of it. On a conscious level, I let go of it. I was doing everything externally to try to make my dreams come true. Mm-hmm. Everything. And then some to try to make my dreams come true. But on the back of my head, in the in the, in the subconscious of me, the ego was like, guiding my decisions so i would fail i would get close and fail get close and fail till i finally said oh wait a minute i when i wrote my book i was like oh i didn't let go of this i never let go i was unconscious of the pain that that situation caused me and that trauma that was applied to me you know from slight physical abuse to absolute mental abuse. I was in an abusive relationship for a year with Mm -hmm. a bipolar psychopath. 
basically. Yep. Uh, so I had not let go of that abuse and I had not let go of that trauma. But my, but my upfront, I was completely, I'm like, I don't even think about it. I never sat there and go, oh, poor me, poor right. me. Oh, this, what happened to me 20 years ago? I never thought that ever. Once in a blue moon, someone would mention something and I would, it would come up, but I would never, I didn't That's the flag. That's the red flag. Yeah. I just right? never, yeah. I never did anything. It didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. But when I finally wrote the book and I saw this emotion just whoosh come out. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I was like, oh my God, this is still there. It is not just a story. This thing is still affecting me and guide me. So once I released the book, almost exercised the demon out of me, if you will, mm -hmm. then I was free of it. And then when I was free of it, a lot of the other things that I was holding on to, I became free of as well. So then I became all these things, those, those ideas like I'm not good enough. Uh, what are people going to think? All this kind of stuff. And I just said, screw it. And I started, I made my first movie within a month, went off, got a bunch of great actors, made a movie, sold it to Hulu, made it for five grand. Everyone's like, you're insane. And I made it. I didn't care. I made a second movie right afterwards experiment didn't care what other people thought it was from so and then all of a sudden things just opened up but by me writing that book it is the thing that exposed what was going on and what had been driving so much frustration in my life for close to 20 years so yeah that's that was ego holding on to that trauma because it's the way it defends itself but when i released it and let go of it truly let go of it, then the ego is like, okay, so we, that's not our identity. That's not who we are. We're how, not would you, how would you apply that to someone who is sexually molested? Man, I, this is now we're getting into a territory that I don't, I don't have credentials to do. Mm -hmm. All I can tell you is from my experience. If you have a traumatic event that, that you went through, whatever that is, I mm -hmm. went through my traumatic event. So by releasing that through writing about it, through telling the story, through accepting of it, but to understand that you are not the traumatic event that happened to you and you can let go of that because your identity, I, my identity was wrapped up on a subconscious level. That's how sneaky this damn bit thing is. On a subconscious level, my identity was wrapped up to that trauma. Even though on a conscious level, I was not even aware of it. Truly was not aware of it. Only when I opened the door to the book, then it had to come out because by the process of writing, it had to come out onto the page to tell the story. And then when I was going through that process, which took me about six months to a year to write the book, because it took me forever to just go through the, I was crying when I was writing. It was so emotional. I would skip chapters because I knew where I had to go to that, that process. Mm. So when we're getting through all of that. I finally released it. So I would say, if my experience of a traumatic event is you can transplant that on any kind of traumatic event. And again, mm -hmm. I cannot tell you what the feeling is of I've never okay. been abused sexually. So I have no idea what mm -hmm. that is. I don't know if this would work for someone like you in that yep. sense or someone who had that kind of experience. 
but it could be someone who was in an abusive relationship. I I, I don't know. I okay. just know what it works. I've for. never told anybody this, Alex, mm-hmm. but I was in my fourth step in Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. and it's the step where you um, basically um, you figure out like where all of your resentments are where all your fears are and you write it out. So the first one on my list was being sexually molested. Mm-hmm. So um, I got myself a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous and they review that list that you create with you. That's their job. Mm-hmm. And they show you how to deal with the resentments. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how this was gonna go. So I went in and uh, met with my sponsor and, and did that first one. And I'm like, you know, I'm resentful at this babysitter who sexually molested me when I was eight. And he said, okay, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. That is terrible and should never happen to anyone. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered um, if he had been sexually molested? The person who molested you? Mm-hmm. I said, no i never considered that he said well a lot of people who um sexually molest other people have been molested themselves i said hmm i never really considered that and um he said um did you ever um wonder if um if he had been if he had been abused in any way and i was like no and he's like so you've held on to this resentment and you never really thought about whether and why he did it and what motivated it and where it came from and i said not really so he said if he had been sexually molested himself would that make his action more understandable I said, I guess, because it would make sense that, I mean, if you had been sexually molested, maybe you would molest somebody else. Like that would be maybe a cause, right? So, I mean, the point is, is that I never considered his feelings Mm. in 25 years. I just hated this person and never took a step back outside of myself to to wonder well what did this what was this person going through that they did that to me in other words i was just thinking of myself as a victim Correct. the pain that i went through mm-hmm. and i had this happen to me and um yeah, that's just it's justifiable for me to feel that way. Angry at this person. That's it's normal. But I don't want to feel that way anymore. I don't want to be angry at someone at that level. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to get over this thing? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. For me, I I not only forgave my mobster, I call him my mobster, um, and my gangster. Uh, I only not only forgave him, but I am empathetic with him because the amount 
of, of abuse and experiences that he had to go through to become that person is pretty intense. Not only is that, but he was also undiagnosed bipolar. There's no question in my mind mm. that he was that as well. So, you know, he he was dealing with life the way he knew how to deal with it. It, it is a, it's difficult to say out loud, but it is something that after much contemplation over, you just like, he was doing the best he could. Could he have done better? Could he have not been so abusive? Could he have not taken advantage? Those were the skill sets of that man. That's That was the world that he was raised in. That was mm -hmm. the experience that he had. And I know for a fact that a lot of it came from pain. Spent a lot of time with that mm -hmm. man. I heard a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. He was just in pain. Just a lot of pain. And he lashed out to protect himself. And he took advantage of people to protect himself. Because that's the way he, the only way he knew how to do. So I have no resentment, no ill will to the man. Um, he, he, in many ways, played the part of the character that I needed to be played in my life at that moment in my life person like that doesn't have any place in this in this time of my life mm. you know and also energetically wouldn't make sense for someone like that to be in my life at this point mm -hmm. i don't need to learn that lesson anymore right you know so and not that trauma is a lesson but i, I don't know again in my life it was something that I needed at that time. I'm not saying that for you at all, mm -hmm. but for me, it's something, and maybe there would, there's an easier way I could have learned that lesson, but apparently I hadn't learned it and the universe did what they did. But when you start looking at things from a much broader look of like life plans going through pain, and I've asked a lot of spiritual masters, channels, mediums, these questions are like, why would you choose pain? In this life, why would you on the other side look and go, I want pain in this life. Mm -hmm. I want, I need to go through this. I need to fight through this. I need to go through this to struggle. Why wouldn't I just come in in a yeah. loving family and all the money that I need in the world and be wonderful and help people? And why wouldn't I choose that as opposed to, you know, pain and drugs and trauma and all this other stuff that happened to me? Why would I choose that? And from my understanding is because the soul wants to evolve in a way that they have to walk through those things because it, and, and someone gave me this example and it was a great example that like, if you were born into a family who had a five-star Michelin restaurant and all you ate your entire life was meals out of that restaurant, which are arguably the greatest meals in the world. People traveled from around the world to eat there, but you born into it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then one day you eat, you need to eat McDonald's or fast food. Sorry, McDonald's. Uh, you need to eat fast food to go, oh, oh, this is not. You need that other side to appreciate this side. Mm. It's a difficult, this is a difficult conversation to have when someone's in a traumatic event, but mm -hmm. I hope it gives a little perspective 
to it because both you and I have gone through different kinds of traumatic events and we both came out the other side of it. And I know I appreciate what I have now much more because of what I went through as unpleasant as it was for me in my life. And I, I assume for you in yours. Yeah. All right. So, um, Brendan, this has been an amazing conversation, my friend. Thank you so much for being so raw and honest. And uh, I hope this conversation helps people. You know, it it, it started off one mm-hmm. way, ended off another, but I really do hope it helps people. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests, um, How? what is your definition of living a good life? My definition of living a good life um, would be... <clears throat> Definition of living a good life is finding inner fulfillment, like inner peace, a place like find getting to the point and finding a place, a calm amidst the storm and getting to that, to that core would be, um, would be what I'm striving for. And um, I'm helping others do the same. I'm a spiritual certified spiritual coach, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, I started my own business. I don't think I mentioned that. I think you did. You did. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Did yeah. I mention it? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a certified spiritual coach and a business consultant. But anyways, um, finding that that inner center where you can't be tossed around, um, and finding something that you really love doing. Now, what is your definition of God? My definition of God is question answered. Fair enough. And what is the <laughs> what is the ultimate pers- purpose of life? The ultimate purpose of life, I can't I can't answer that question. Fair enough, my friend. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? You can find me on Facebook, Brandon Densmore, B-R-A-N-D-E-N-D-E-N-S-M-O-R-E on Facebook. Um, Maybe you can include a link in the description of the video. People can contact me. I am taking um, a few more clients. Uh, It's kind of overwhelming right now because I'm taking on a lot of clients, but I I do have a couple more spots available. So if you want to work with me, let me know. It might become a little bit more overwhelming after this air, sir. So oh, prepare- boy. <laughs> I'm going to have to hire somebody. Prepare yourself. And uh, do you have Do you have any parting messages uh, for the audience? Uh, parting messages. Um, eat, give yourself a break. Give yourself a pat on the back. Learn how to become your own best friend instead of your own worst enemy. And you don't have to talk to yourself in such a derogatory manner. Don't talk to yourself that way. Treat yourself with respect. Brendan, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for for being so raw and honest and telling us your story. And and thank you for everything you're doing in the world, my friend. I appreciate you. Thanks, Alex. I want to thank Brendan so much for being so raw and honest with his story. Thank you so much, Brendan. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com dot com forward slash 200. 
And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.